Is it good dwelling with the devouring fire, with everlasting burnings? Is it good to be forever separated from the blessed and glorious presence of God and saints, and to be forever shut out from those good things of eternal life, which are so many that they exceed number, so great that they exceed measure, so precious that they exceed all estimation? We know it is the greatest misery that can befall the sons of men, and would they not prevent this by repentance, if it were such an easy thing to repent as Satan would have it? Well then, do not run the hazard of losing God, Christ, heaven, and thy soul forever by hearkening to this device of Satan, that is, that it is an easy thing to repent. If it be so easy, why then do wicked men's hearts so rise against them that press the doctrine of repentance in the sweetest way, and by the strongest and the choicest arguments that the scripture doth afford? And why do they kill two at once? The faithful laborer's name and their own souls by their wicked words and actings because they are put upon repenting which Satan tells them is such an easy thing. Surely were repentance so easy wicked men would not be so much enraged when that doctrine is by evangelical considerations thrust upon them. Remedy 5 The fifth remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that to repent of sin is as great a work of grace as not to sin. Footnote. Yet it is better to be kept from sin than cured of sin by repentance, as it is better for a man to be preserved from a disease than to be cured of the disease. End of footnote. By our sinful falls, the powers of the soul are weakened, the strength of grace is decayed, our evidences for heaven are blotted, fears and doubts in the soul are raised. Will God once more pardon this scarlet sin and show mercy to this wretched soul? And corruptions in the heart are more advantaged and confirmed, and the conscience of a man, after falls, is the more enraged or the more benumbed. Now for a soul, notwithstanding all this, to repent of his falls, this shows that it is as great a work of grace to repent of sin as it is not to sin. Repentance is the vomit of the soul, and of all physic, none so difficult and hard as it is to vomit. The same means that tends to preserve the soul from sin, the same means works the soul to rise by repentance when it is fallen into sin. We know the mercy and loving kindness of God is one special means to keep the soul from sin. As David spake, Thy loving kindness is always before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth, and I have not sat with vain persons. Neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. Psalm 26, verses 3-5 So by the same means the soul is raised by repentance out of sin. As you may see in Mary Magdalene who loved much and wept much because much was forgiven her. Luke 7, verses 37-39 So those in Hosea, Come, let us return unto the Lord for he hath torn, and he will heal. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. In the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight, or before his face. Hosea 6, verses 1 and 2 As the Hebrew hath it, in his favor. Confidence in God's mercy and love that he would heal them and bind up their wounds and revive their dejected spirits and cause them to live in his favor 
was that which did work their hearts to repent and return unto him. I might further show you this truth in many other particulars, but this may suffice. Only remember this in the general, that there is as much of the power of God and love of God and faith in God and fear of God and care to please God, zeal for the glory of God, 2 Corinthians 7.11, requisite to work a man to repent of sin, as there is to keep a man from sin, by which you may easily judge that to repent of sin is as great a work as not to sin. And now tell me, O soul, is it an easy thing not to sin? We know then certainly it is not an easy thing to repent of sin. Remedy 6 The sixth remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that he that now tempts thee to sin upon this account, that repentance is easy, will, ere long, to work thee to despair, and forever to break the neck of thy soul, present repentance as the most difficult and hardest work in the world. And to this purpose he will set thy sins in order before thee, and make them to say to thee, We are thine, and we must follow thee. Footnote Bede tells of a certain great man that was admonished in his sickness to repent, who answered that he would not repent yet, for if he should recover, his companions would laugh at him. But growing more and more sick, his friends pressed him again to repent. But then he told them it was too late, for now said he, I am judged and condemned. End of footnote. Now Satan will help to work the soul to look up and see God angry, and to look inward and to see conscience accusing and condemning, and to look downwards and see hell's mouth open to receive the impenitent soul, and all this to render the work of repentance impossible to the soul. What, saith Satan, dost thou think that that is easy which the whole power of grace cannot conquer while we are in this world? Is it easy, saith Satan, to turn from some outward act of sin to which thou hast been addicted? Dost thou not remember that thou hast often complained against such and such particular sins and resolved to leave them? And yet, to this hour, thou hast not, thou canst not. What will it then be to turn from every sin? Yea, to mortify and cut off those sins, those darling lusts, that are as joints and members, that be as right hands and right eyes. Hast thou not loved thy sins above thy Savior? Hast thou not preferred earth before heaven? Hast thou not all along neglected the means of grace, and despised the offers of grace, and vexed the spirit of grace? There would be no end if I should set before thee the infinite evils that thou hast committed, and the innumerable good services that thou hast omitted, and the frequent checks of thy own conscience that thou hast contemned, and therefore thou mayest well conclude that thou canst never repent, that thou shalt never repent. Now, saith Satan, do but a little consider thy numberless sins, and the greatness of thy sins, the foulness of thy sins, the heinousness of thy sins, the circumstances of thy sins, and thou shalt easily see that those things that thou thoughtest to be but motes are indeed mountains, and is it not now in vain to repent of them? Surely, saith Satan, if thou shouldst seek repentance and grace with tears as Esau, thou shalt not find it. Thy glass is out. Thy sun is set. The door of mercy is shut. The golden scepter is taken in. 
And now thou that hast despised mercy shalt be forever destroyed by justice. For such a wretch as thou art to attempt repentance is to attempt a thing impossible. It is impossible that thou, that in all thy life couldst never conquer one sin, shouldst master such a numberless number of sins, which are so near, so dear, so necessary and so profitable to thee, that have so long bitted and boarded with thee, that have been old acquaintance and companions with thee. Hast thou not often purposed, promised, vowed, and resolved to enter upon the practice of repentance, but to this day couldst never attain it? Surely it is in vain to strive against the stream, where it is so impossible to overcome. Thou art lost and cast forever. To hell thou must, to hell thou shalt. Ah, souls, he that now tempts you to sin by suggesting to you the easiness of repentance will at last work you to despair and present repentance as the hardest work in all the world and a work as far above man as heaven is above hell, as light is above darkness. Oh, that you were wise to break off your sins by timely repentance. Footnote Repentance is a work that must be timely done or utterly undone forever. End of footnote Device 7 By making the soul bold to venture upon the occasions of sin. Saith Satan, you may walk by the harlot's door though you won't go into the harlot's bed. You may sit and sup with the drunkard though you won't be drunk with the drunkard. You may look upon Jezebel's beauty, and you may play and toy with Delilah, though you do not commit wickedness with the one or the other. You may with Achan handle the golden wedge, though you do not steal the golden wedge. Remedy 1 The first remedy is solely to dwell upon those scriptures that do expressly command us to avoid the occasions of sin and the least appearance of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 Abstain from the appearance of evil. Whatsoever is heterodox, unsound, and unsavory, shun it, as you would do a serpent in your way, or poison in your meat. Footnote Epiphanius saith that in the old law, when any dead body was carried by any house, they were enjoined to shut their doors and windows. End of footnote Theodosius tore the Iranian's arguments presented to him in writing because he found them repugnant to the scriptures and Augustine retracted even ironies only because they had the appearance of lying. When God had commanded the Jews to abstain from swine's flesh they would not so much as name it but in their common talk would call a sow another thing. To abstain from all appearance of evil is to do nothing wherein sin appears or which hath a shadow of sin. Bernard glosseth finely, Whatever is of evil show, or of ill report, that he may neither wound conscience nor credit. We must shun and be shy of the very show and shadow of sin, if either we tender our credit abroad, or our comfort at home. It was good counsel that Livia gave her husband, Augustus, It behoveth thee not only not to do wrong, but not to seem to do so. So Jude 23, And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. It is a phrase taken from legal uncleanness, which was contracted by touching the houses, the vessels, the garments of unclean persons. Footnote 
Socrates, the ecclesiastical historian, not the philosopher, speaks of two young men that flung away their belts when being in an idol's temple, the lustrating water fell upon them, detesting, saith the historian, the garment spotted by the flesh. End of footnote. Under the law, men might not touch a monstrous cloth, nor would God accept of a spotted peace offering. So we must not only hate and avoid gross sins, but everything that may carry a favor or suspicion of sin. We must abhor the very signs and tokens of sin. So in Proverbs 5.8, Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. He that would not be burnt must dread the fire. He that would not hear the bell must not meddle with the rope. Footnote. One said, As oft as I have been among vain men, I returned home less a man than I was before. End of footnote. To venture upon the occasion of sin and then to pray, lead us not into temptation, is all one as to thrust thy finger into the fire and then to pray that it might not be burnt. So in Proverbs 4, verses 14 and 15, you have another command. Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it and pass away. This triple gradation of Solomon showeth with a great emphasis how necessary it is for men to flee from all appearance of sin, as the seamen shuns sands and shelves, and as men shun those that have the plague sores running upon them. As weeds do endanger the corn, as bad humors do endanger the blood, or as an infected house doth endanger the neighborhood, so doth the company of the bad endanger those that are good. Entireness or friendship with wicked consorts is one of the strongest chains of hell and binds us to a participation of both sin and punishment. Remedy 2 The second remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that ordinarily there is no conquest over sin without the soul turning from the occasion of sin. It is impossible for that man to get the conquest of sin that plays and sports with the occasions of sin. God will not remove the temptation except you turn from the occasion. It is a just and righteous thing with God that he should fall into the pit that will adventure to dance upon the brink of the pit and that he should be a slave to sin that will not flee from the occasions of sin. As long as there is fuel in our hearts for a temptation, we cannot be secure. He that hath gunpowder about him had need keep far enough off from sparks. To rush upon the occasions of sin is both to tempt ourselves and to tempt Satan to tempt our souls. It is very rare that any soul plays with the occasions of sin, but that soul is ensnared by sin. Footnote. The fable saith that the butterfly asked the owl how she should deal with the fire which had singed her wings, who counseled her not to behold so much as its smoke. End of footnote. It is seldom that God keeps that soul from the acts of sin that will not keep off from the occasions of sin. He that adventures upon the occasions of sin is as he that would quench the fire with oil, which is a fuel to maintain it and increase it. Our souls, often remember how frequently you have been overcome by sin, how you have boldly gone upon the occasions of sin. Look back, souls, to the day of your vanity, 
wherein you have been as easily conquered as tempted, vanquished as assaulted, when you have played with the occasions of sin. As you would for the future be kept from the acting of sin and be made victorious over sin, or flee from the occasions of sin. Remedy 3 The third remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that other precious saints that were once glorious on earth and are now triumphing in heaven have turned from the occasion of sin as hell itself, as you may see in Joseph, in Genesis 39.10. And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Footnote There are stories of heathens that would not look upon beauties lest they should be ensnared. Democritus plucked out his own eyes to avoid the danger of uncleanness. End of footnote Joseph was famous for all the four cardinal virtues, if ever any were. In this one temptation you may see his fortitude, justice, temperance, and prudence, in that he shuns the occasion, for he would not so much as be with her. And that a man is indeed, that he is in the temptation, which is but a tap to give vent to corruption. The Nazarite might not only not drink wine, but not taste a grape, or the husk of a grape. The leper was to shave his hair and pare his nails. The devil counts a fit occasion half a conquest, for he knows that corrupt nature hath a seed plot for all sin, which being drawn forth and watered by some sinful occasion, is soon set a work to the producing of death and destruction. God will not remove the temptation till we remove the occasion. A bird whiles aloft is safe, but she comes not near the snare without danger. The shunning the occasions of sin renders a man most like the best of men. A soul eminently gracious dares not come near the train, though he be far off from the blow. So Job, in 31 verse 1, I have made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Footnote I cut a covenant. In making covenants, it was a custom among the Jews to cut some beast or other in pieces and to walk between the pieces to signify that they desired God to destroy them that should break the covenant. End of footnote. I set a watch at the entrance of my senses that my soul might not by them be infected or endangered. The eye is the window of the soul, and if that should be always open, the soul might smart for it. A man may not look intently upon that that he may not love entirely. The disciples were set agog by beholding the beauty of the temple. It is best and safest to have the eye always fixed upon the highest and noblest objects, as the mariner's eye is fixed upon the star when their hand is on the stern. So David, when he was himself, he shuns the occasion of sin. Psalm 26, verses 4 and 5, I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers, and will not sit with the wicked. Stories speak of some that could not sleep when they thought of the trophies of other worthies that went before them. The highest and choicest examples are to some, and should be to all, very quickening and provoking. And oh, that the examples of those worthy saints, David, Joseph, and Job, might prevail with all your souls to shun and avoid the occasions of sin. Everyone should strive to be like them in grace, 
that they desire to be equal with in glory. He that shooteth at the sun, though he be far short, will shoot higher than he that aimeth at a shrub. It is best, and it speaks out much of Christ within, to eye the highest and worthiest examples. Remedy 4 The fourth remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that the avoiding the occasions of sin is an evidence of grace and that which lifts up a man above most other men in the world. Footnote Plutarch saith of Demosthenes that he was excellent at praising the worthy acts of his ancestors but not so at imitating them. Oh, that this were not applicable to many professors in our times. In the footnote, that a man is indeed which he is in temptation, and when sinful occasions do present themselves before the soul, this speaks out both the truth and the strength of grace. When with Lot a man can be chased in Sodom, and with Timothy can live temperate in Asia, among the luxurious Ephesians, and with Job can walk uprightly in the land of Uz, where the people were profane in their lives and superstitious in their worship, and with Daniel beholding in Babylon, and with Abraham righteous in Chaldea, and with Nehemiah zealous in Damasco, etc. Many a wicked man is big and full of corruption, but it shows not for want of occasion. But that man is surely good, who in his course will not be bad, though tempted by occasions. A Christless soul is so far from refusing occasions when they come in his way that he looks and longs after them, and rather than he will go without them, he will buy them, not only with love or money, but also with the loss of his soul. Nothing but grace can sense a man against the occasions of sin when he is strongly tempted thereunto. Therefore, as you would cherish a precious evidence in your own bosoms of the truth and strength of your graces, Shun all sinful occasions. Device 8 By representing to the soul the outward mercies that vain men enjoy and the outward miseries that they are freed from whilst they have walked in the ways of sin. Sayeth Satan, Dost thou see, O soul, the many mercies that such and such enjoy that walk in those very ways that thy soul startles to think of and the many crosses that they are delivered from even such as makes other men that say they do not walk in such ways to spend their days in sighing, weeping, groaning, and mourning. And therefore, saith Satan, if ever thou wouldst be freed from the dark night of adversity and enjoy the sunshine of prosperity, thou must walk in their ways. Footnote It was a weighty saying of Seneca, There is nothing more unhappy than he who never felt adversity. Some of the heathens would be wicked as their gods were, counting it a dishonor to their god to be unlike him. End of footnote. By this stratagem the devil took those in Jeremiah 44 verses 16 through 18. As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee, but we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her, as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For them have we plenty of victuals, and were well and saw no evil. 
But since we left off to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have wanted all things and have been consumed by the sword and by the famine. This is just the language of a world of ignorant, profane, and superstitious souls in London and England that would have made them a captain to return to bondage, yea, to that bondage that was worse than that the Israelites groaned under. Oh, say they, since such and such persons have been cut down and left off, we have had nothing but plundering and taxing and butchering of men, and therefore we will do as we and our kings and nobles and fathers have formerly done. For then had we plenty at home and peace abroad, and there was none to make us afraid. Footnote. It is said of one of the emperors that Rome had no war in his days because it was plague enough to have such an emperor. You are wise and know how to apply it. The allusion, no doubt, is to Charles I and the agitation for the restoration of Charles II. Cromwell died September 3, 1658. End of footnote. Remedy 1. The first remedy is solemnly to consider that no man knows how the heart of God stands by his hand. His hand of mercy may be towards a man when his heart may be against that man, as he may see himself and others. And the hand of God may be set against a man when the heart of God is dearly set upon him, as you may see in Job and Ephraim. Footnote. Cicero judged the Jews' religion to be naught because they were so often overcome and impoverished and afflicted and the religion of Rome to be right, because the Romans prospered and became lords of the world. And yet though the Romans had his hand, yet the Jews had his heart, for they were dearly beloved, though sorely afflicted. And a footnote. The hand of God was sorely set against them, and yet the heart and bowels of God were strongly working towards them. No man knoweth either love or hatred by outward mercy or misery. For all things come alike to all, to the righteous and to the unrighteous, to the good and to the bad, to the clean and to the unclean. The sun of prosperity shines as well upon the brambles of the wilderness as upon fruit trees of the orchard. The snow and hail of adversity lights upon the best garden as well as upon the stinking dunghill or the wild waste. Ahab's and Josiah's ends concur in the very circumstances. Saul and Jonathan, though different in their natures, deserts and deportments, yet in their deaths they were not divided. Health, wealth, honors, crosses, sicknesses, losses are cast upon good and bad men promiscuously. The whole Turkish empire is nothing else but a crust cast by heaven's great housekeeper to his dogs. Moses dies in the wilderness as well as those that murmured. Nabal is rich as well as Abraham. Ahithophel wise as well as Solomon, and Doreg honored by Saul as well as Joseph was by Pharaoh. Usually the worst of men have most of these outward things, and the best of men have least of earth, though most of heaven. Remedy 2 The second remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that there is nothing in the world that doth so provoke God to be wroth and angry as men's taking encouragement from God's goodness and mercy to do wickedly. This you may see by that wrath that fell upon the old world and by God's raining hell out of heaven upon Sodom and Gomorrah. This is clear in Jeremiah 44 from verse 20 to 28. 
The words are worthy of your best meditation. Oh, that they were engraven in all your hearts and constant in all your thoughts. Though they are too large for me to transcribe them, yet they are not too large for me to remember them. To argue from mercy to sinful liberty is the devil's logic, and such logicians do ever walk as upon a mine of gunpowder ready to be blown up. No such soul can ever avert or avoid the wrath of God. This is wickedness at the height, for a man to be very bad because God is very good. A worse spirit than this is not in hell. Ah, Lord, doth not wrath, yea, the greatest wrath, lie at this man's door? Are not the strongest chains of darkness prepared for such a soul? To sin against mercy is to sin against humanity. It is bestial, nay, it is worse. To render good for evil is divine. To render good for good is human. To render evil for evil is brutish. But to render evil for good is devilish. And from this evil deliver my soul, O God. Footnote Such souls make God a God of a mere doll, one that will not do as he saith. But they shall find God to be a severe and punishing, as he is to others gracious and pardoning. Good turns aggravate unkindnesses, and our guilt is increased by our obligations. End of footnote. Remedy 3 The third remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that there is no greater misery in this life than not to be in misery, no greater affliction than not to be afflicted. Woe, woe to that soul that God will not spend a rod upon. This is the saddest stroke of all when God refuses to strike it all. Hosea 4.17 Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Why should you be smitten any more? You will revolt more and more. Isaiah 1.5 When the physician gives over the patient, you say, Ring out his knell, the man is dead. So when God gives over a soul to sin without control, you may truly say, This soul is lost. You may wring out his knell, for he is twice dead and plucked up by the roots. Freedom from punishment is the mother of security, the stepmother of virtue, the poison of religion, the moth of holiness, and the introducer of wickedness. Nothing, said one, seems more unhappy to me than he to whom no adversity hath happened. Outward mercies oft times prove a snare to our souls. I will lay a stumbling block. Ezekiel 3.20 That a blesses note there says, I will prosper him in all things, and not by affliction restrain him from sin. Prosperity hath been a stumbling block at which millions have stumbled and fallen and broken the neck of their souls forever. Footnote Religion brought forth riches, and the daughter soon devoured the mother, said Augustine. Remedy 4 The fourth remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that the wants of wicked men, under all their outward mercy and freedom from adversity, is far greater than all their outward enjoyments. They have many mercies, yet they want more than they enjoy. The mercies which they enjoy are nothing to the mercies they want. It is true they have honors and riches and pleasures and friends and are mighty in power. Their seed is established in their sight with them and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, neither is the rod of God upon them. 
They send forth their little ones like a flock, and their children dance. They take the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. They spend their days in wealth. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart can wish, and they have no bands in their death. But their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, as David and Job spake. Yet all this is nothing to what they want. They want interest in God, Christ, the Spirit, the promises, the covenant of grace, and everlasting glory. They want acceptation and reconciliation with God. They want righteousness, justification, sanctification, adoption, and redemption. They want the pardon of sin and the power against sin, and freedom from the dominion of sin. They want that favor that is better than life, and that joy that is unspeakable and full of glory, and that peace that passes understanding, and that grace, the least spark of which is more worth than heaven and earth. They want a house that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. They want those riches that perish not, the glory that fades not, that kingdom that shakes not. Wicked men are the most needy men in the world. Yea, they want those two things that should render their mercy sweet, that is, the blessing of God, and content with their condition, and without which their heaven is but hell on this side of hell. Footnote. Neither Christ nor heaven can be hyperbolized. A crown of gold cannot cure the headache. A velvet slipper cannot ease the gout. No more can honor or riches quiet and stir the conscience. The heart of man is a three-square triangle, which the whole round circle of the world cannot fill, as mathematicians say, but all the corners will complain of emptiness and hunger for something else. End of footnote. When their hearts are lifted up and grown big upon the thoughts of their abundance, if conscience does but put in a word and say, It is true, here is this and that outward mercy. Oh, but where is an interest in Christ? Where is the favor of God? Where are the comforts of the Holy Ghost? Where are the evidences of heaven? This word from conscience makes the man's countenance to change, his thoughts to be troubled, his heart to be amazed and all his mercies on the right hand and left to be as dead and withered. Ah, were but the eyes of wicked men open to see their wants under their abundance, they would cry out and say as Absalom did, What are all these to me so long as I cannot see the king's face? Second Samuel 14 verses 23 and 32 What is honor and riches and the favor of creatures so long as I want the favor of God? the pardon of my sins, an interest in Christ, and the hopes of glory. O Lord, give me these, or I die. Give me these, or else I shall eternally die. Remedy 5 The fifth remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that outward things are not as they seem and are esteemed. They have indeed a glorious outside, but if you view their insides, you will easily find that they fill the head full of cares and the heart full of fears. What if the fire should consume one part of my estate and the sea should be a grave to swallow up another part of my estate? What if my servants should be unfaithful abroad and my children should be deceitful at home? Ah, the secret fretting and vexing and gnawing that doth daily, yea hourly, attend those men's souls whose hands are full of worldly goods. 
It was a good speech of an emperor. You, said he, gaze on my purple robe and golden crown. But did you know what cares are under it? You would not take it up from the ground to have it. It was a true saying of Augustine on the 26th Psalm. Many are miserable by loving hurtful things, but they are more miserable by having them. It is not what men enjoy, but the principle from whence it comes that makes men happy. Much of these outward things do usually cause great distraction, great vexation, and great condemnation at last to the possessors of them. If God gives them in his wrath and do not sanctify them in his love, they will at last be witnesses against a man and millstones forever to sink a man in that day when God shall call men to an account, not for the use, but for the abuse of mercy. Remedy 6 The sixth remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider the end and the design of God in heaping up mercy upon the heads of the wicked and in giving them a rest and quiet from those sorrows and sufferings that others sigh under. David, in Psalm 73, verses 17 through 20, shows the end and design of God in this, saith he, When I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down in destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream, when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Footnote. Valens, the Roman emperor, fell from being an emperor to be a footstool to Sapor, king of Persia. Diogenes, king of Sicily, fell from his kingly glory to be a schoolmaster. The brave queen Zebaniah was brought to Rome in golden chains. Belisarius, a famous general, Henry IV, Belgezet, Pythias, great Pompey, and William the Conqueror, these from being very high were brought very low. They all fell from great glory and majesty to great poverty and misery. End of footnote. So in Psalm 92 verse 7, when the wicked spring as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. God's setting them up is but in order to his casting them down. His raising them high is but in order to his bringing them low. Exodus 9 verse 16 And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. I have constituted and set thee up as a target that I may let fly at thee and follow thee close with plague upon plague till I have beaten the very breath out of thy body and got myself a name by setting my feet upon the neck of all thy pride, power, pomp, and glory. Ah, souls, what man in his wits would be lifted up that he might be cast down, would be set higher than others when it is but in order to his being brought down lower than others? There is not a wicked man in the world that is set up with Lucifer as high as heaven, but shall with Lucifer be brought down as low as hell. Canst thou think seriously of this, O soul, and not say, O Lord, I humbly crave that thou wilt let me be little in this world, that I may be great in another world, and lo here, that I may be high forever hereafter. Footnote. 
Grant us, Lord, that we may so partake of temporal felicity that we may not lose eternal. End of footnote. Let me be low and feed low and live low so I may live with thee forever. Let me now be clothed with rags so thou wilt clothe me at the last with thy robes. Let me now be set upon a dunghill so I may at last be advanced to sit with thee upon thy throne. Lord, make me rather gracious than great, inwardly holy than outwardly happy, and rather turn me into my first nothing, yea, make me worse than nothing, rather than set me up for a time that thou mayest bring me low forever. Remedy 7 The seventh remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that God doth often most plague and punish those whom others think he doth most fear and love. That is, God doth plague and punish them most with spiritual judgments, which are the greatest, the sorest, and the heaviest, whom he least punishes with the temporal punishments. Footnote. He gave them their requests, but sent leanness into their soul. It is a heavy plague to have a fat body and a lean soul, a house full of gold and a heart full of sin. End of footnote. There are no men on earth so internally plagued as those that meet with least external plagues. Oh, the blindness of mind, the hardness of heart, the seriousness of conscience that those souls are given up to who in the eye of the world are reputed the most happy men because they are not outwardly afflicted and plagued as other men. Ah, souls, it is better that all the temporal plagues that ever befell the children of men since the fall of Adam should at once meet upon your souls than that you should be given up to the least spiritual plague, to the least measure of spiritual blindness or spiritual hardness of heart. Nothing will better that man nor move that man that is given up to spiritual judgments. Let God smile or frown, stroke or strike, cut or kill. He minds it not, he regards it not. Let life or death, heaven or hell be set before him. It stirs him not. He is mad upon his sin, and God is fully set to do justice upon his soul. This man's preservation is but a reservation unto a greater condemnation. This man can set no bounds to himself. He has become a brat of fathomless perdition. He hath guilt in his bosom and vengeance at his back wherever he goes. Neither ministry nor misery, neither miracle nor mercy can mollify his heart. And if this soul be not in hell, on this side of hell, who is? Footnote. It is better to have a sore than a seared conscience. It is better to have no heart than a hard heart, no mind than a blind mind. Remedy 8 The eighth remedy against this device of Satan is to dwell more upon that strict account that vain men must make for all that good that they do enjoy. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at 
swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.